to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on around and inside and everywhere about the Novell universe. And this is Ted Hager. I'm joined in the studio today with, uh, what's your name again? Uh, Still Aaron Quill. Aaron Quill. And we've got Pat Felstead back today because we're doing a retake of our Bandit interview. I I mentioned in the previous show that we had a little bit of a goof. We were going to release it on the day that the Bandit announcement came about. Pat did a great interview previously, and now we're making Pat redo it in the studio. never works as well as the first time, does it, Pat? Well, I don't know. I didn't think the first one went so well, so hopefully this will be better. This, this will be the great interview. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're going to talk about the Bandit Project here and give you guys a little bit of an idea of what's going on. So, so Pat, give us a little background. Who are you and what do you do? Um, well, I'm the project maintainer for the Bandit Project. Um, so basically that encompasses everything from making sure the websites are up to date and all the information's there, making sure we have roadmaps, we have tasks associated, building a community, making sure that our components are integrated and working together. And and I also do a lot of work within Novell to make sure that those products are being looked at and uh, used in other products inside of Novell. Okay, and let's, let's find out also about what the Bandit Project is because, I mean, Jeff Jaffe got up and did a big announcement. Where was he again when he did the announcement? You have no idea. No. All right, no problem. But Jeff Jaffe did this <laughs> announcement uh, about uh, the Bandit Project, and this is a new open source project. It's got a website and everything else. But let's hear from you. What What is it? Okay, the Bandit Project is has really two main goals, and the, and the main goal is to one of the main goals is to build a community of people who are thinking and doing things with identity related uh, technologies. And so, in this community, we hope to build components that will be helped to act as the infrastructure for this emerging identity environment that's coming forth in, in the technology fields. And so we actually have a couple components I'm sure we'll talk about later that we are actually building. So that's the source code we're building that's open sourced. And, and, the, and during this, these, with these components, we hope to build a community around them. And what exactly does Bandit do? What does it provide for me? Okay, so the components we're actually building are there's there's five of them that make up currently the the Bandit project. Even though we're not limited to those, you know, this is this is supposed to be an open. It's supposed to be led by the community itself. Whoever participates will help lead this. Um, there's five areas. Uh, first is a component that's actually been. Um, you may have heard talk about it as the Higgins Project, and I think Dale Olds did a Yeah, a we, we had Dale in here, and Dale uh, talked about it when we announced Higgins. And so we actually started a project similar to the Higgins Project without knowing about the Higgins Project called the Identity Abstraction. And once we got with the Higgins team and IBM, we said, hey, this is the same thing. Let's Instead of us building the same thing, let's contribute what we're doing to the Higgins Project. And we've been actually really close with them. We're in the process of defining their APIs going forward. We've written what they call context provider for LDAP and eDirectory. Um, and so that's one of the things. And we call it inside the, the, the work we're doing there the common identity component. It would also include, since Higgins is an Eclipse project, which is Java, it will include ports to other uh, languages and platforms. Let's back up for a second. Okay. For the people who haven't listened to that uh, Higgins podcast first, download it now and listen to it. Come on. But for those people <laughs> who haven't done it yet, uh, can you give me like a one or two sentence definition of what Higgins is? Yes. The best way to describe what Higgins is is Higgins is what I call a virtual identity object. 
that aggregates data from multiple identity sources. So I can define this object that says, okay, this is an identity object, and it's identified by this attribute, and I want attributes from this directory service, I want from this database, I want from this RSS feed, and it'll be put, pulled together into one object and one API. So in my application, all, I don't have to write to all these different systems. I just write to this API. It's kind of like what people are doing currently with the LDAP APIs. You write to LDAP. And you can and make and then it doesn't really matter what LDAP server you have out there as long as you can modify the schema to map to what the application needs. So in English, what that means is I've got a user object that maybe rep represents Ted, and mm -hmm. maybe off of that Ted user object, we've got a telephone number. That telephone number might be pulled from the database. Uh, from the software that actually manages our entire phone system here. Exactly. And something like his birth date might come out of the HR system, and we might get other information either from Active Directory, eDirectory, or some other LDAP directory out there, right? That, that's exactly right. And that's and that's the Higgins side of things. That's the Higgins side, so now, the, or we, what we call the common identity component. And okay, then, so that's part one, that's, right? That's the first piece. And we've got four more and, to go. And And... And if you go to the Bandit website, you'll see that we have an architectural page that will show how these pieces are all interlocked and work together. And so we see this as being kind of the, the central piece because this defines what an identity is in the digital environment. Okay? So everything else uses that identity to do something. So, so the next piece is um, we could talk about CASA, which is an open source project from Novell. It's been out for over a year, and it's in uh, um, the OES releases in LD, and it'll be coming out, I think, this year in the SLES and SLED releases. Um, and that's SUSE Linux Enterprise Server, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop, for people who are mm -hmm. not knowing what SLES and SLED would be. That's right. Um, and it, it started as a, a system that that was running on Linux that allowed you to um, have a secret store, so you could store credentials. And then it turned into uh, a single sign-on mechanism. So from that store, you could actually store the password when you logged into the desktop, and you could take that now and pass that on to a web application or to GroupWise or to other applications within the, the Linux desktop environment. How's so, that, is, is that just sort of like a wallet-type app then? Uh, it's actually integrated, I think, with KWallet, which is a, oh, cool. a Linux application. Um, and a few other ones. Uh, they've done PAM integration and... Uh, some other features along this line. So once once we started the Bandit project, which was after Casa started, we said, "Hey, this is a perfect fit. This fills an identity need." Um, the future of it includes actually um, authentication mechanisms, uh, and currently they're working on a release that'll include um, username, password, and Kerberos authentication using this common identity. Is the goal here? Is you take the common identity that represents a user, you pull the attributes out, attributes out you need to do your authentication. Okay, so that's the Casa piece. Um, the next piece we've been working uh, closely on is, is a thing called the role engine. And what we've noticed is, is that for authorization, you need to be able to use roles. And roles actually comes from a standard from the a NIST organization, which is a standards body, that created a technology called RBAC, Role-Based Access Control. And NIST is N-I-S-T for people who want to look it up. And that's, uh, I can't even I remember, can't remember what, that what that one it stands is. for. It's a... Uh, Back east, uh, it's, it's been around for a very long time, a standards body, and they produced RBAC a while ago. But it, what's happening is because of the complexity of the numbers of users and number of resources they have access to do, 
you know, assigning a user permissions for each and every resource he has access to is, is just, there's just no way to do it. Yeah, ARPAC's always been kind of like uh, quantum theory. It's one of those things that if you think you understand it, you're probably missing something on it. Yeah, well, it is, and it expands, and it covers lots of areas. And a lot of people say, well, what's the difference between a role and a group, okay? And in some ways, they're very similar. You can basically assign users to a group, and then you can assign your permissions to the group, and then you can do different things. So in, in that way, it's like a role. But with ARPAC, it defines so much more than just uh, a way of aggregating users together to assign them permissions. It also assigns, lets you have lots of policy assigned for that group. So, for example, you could have a temporal constraint on the group saying, well, this, this, these permissions are only valid at these times of the day. You, you know, you, you could put uh, constraints on location. Um, but there's also advanced features like you could do group hierarchies or role hierarchies. You could have, if you're in this role, you know, you inherit your you know, attributes from the role of this other one because they're hierarchically, and you have nesting of, of these groups. And um, There's also um, concepts, and I'm not going to go to all of this, but there's uh, separation, dynamic and static separations of duties. You can guarantee people are in certain roles. They can't be in the same, these two roles at the same time. Right, and that's, and that's for non-repudiation service or, or like if, if the auditors come into your organization – they have to be able to see that this guy who can change passwords can't necessarily do this other task of looking at certain data uh, while in the same role or from mm -hmm. a single role. That's exactly right. Now, now, we're not providing kind of an authorization service. That's not what we're doing. What we're providing is a role engine that does role calculations. And what our hope here is with all these things is to provide these, this, this identity infrastructure for free and open so that it gets adoption, and then if there's common behavior through all applications. And so right now, the applications all do authentication their own way. They all do, you know, how they identify people their own, you know, a different way, and they all do authorization a different way. And the hope is we'll provide these tools. Just use this, plug it in, and it'll be the same. And that, then we could write management tools that span all the different applications. So I think we got three parts right now, if, uh -huh. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. on the entire um, on the entire bandit side. We've got the part that is represented by Higgins, which is the aggregation of identity components or Data. identity provider. Uh -huh. You've got the common authentication services, CASA, which is the more of the local authentication side, mm -hmm. and then we've got this role, roles engine mm -hmm. side of Bandit. What's our fourth piece? It's, uh, it's something we call the Audit Record Framework or ARF and. There's kind of a little arf and bandit. Yeah. Oh, it was not cool. intended. <laughs> but it made me uh, remember it a lot easier. <laughs> the name actually changed from several things. It was like compliance record framework. And really the, the, so can you get so the it's, roles? So it's bandits, so it's actually barf? <laughs> okay, we heard that one already too, and it's not barf. <laughs> bandit and, and, and like audit record engine, framework. If you could just get it like role user framework or something like that, you got rough. Right. No, we're not going to go down. Okay, there. let's <laughs> stop the whole line of thinking there. So basically, what it started is a compliance record for, uh, framework, and, and the, the goal was to provide a, a common framework or API so we could get compliance related data out of applications in a common format. So we could actually see it and know what happened on the system. And, and there's really two sides of uh, compliance. One is a, a forensic, where you're actually going back and looking through logs. And the other one is like interrogatory, so you like need to be involved in the decision and each and every choice. And so we're not actually focused on that, the interrogatory. We're, we're more focused on the... the, the um, what happened in the past, and so More keeping the track of logging type stuff. So, so we're we're coming up, and we're working with some standards groups through Oasis, um, 
and uh, a lot of the experience inside of this company with uh, um, Insure Audit and, and e- the e-security company. And we were actually coming up with an API that we can use cross-platform in any application that uses a standard interface for information. And the key here is to get identity information into it so we can make decisions and understand who tried to do what when. And so, so this API, um, you know, is a component that we'll be – we haven't released this one yet, but we'll be releasing it in the next month. Um, and, uh, I mean, you can go out to the website to get the full architecture, exactly how we see it working. Um, I don't know if it, we need to go into that at this, this time. So you've got these four big old components here. This, is a, this sounds like it's a massive initiative then, really, if, if it's got all this stuff going into it. Because none, none of these things, I think, are small problems to solve. Nope. Is Novell doing this alone? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't we have another component? He said five. Uh-huh. Did, did he say five? Yeah. I thought I heard four. Yeah, dude, if you're not going to pay attention, <laughs> And you've actually done up. a podcast I'll, I'll about just, the other one. I'll just yeah. be over here. I'll just be over here in the corner. <laughs> the other one is actually is the Flame database, which you guys have done a podcast already on. Oh, killer. And so we actually felt it was a good fit, even though Flame itself is just a database technology. It doesn't – but it, the flexibility of the modeling of data that Flame provides is so – rich and so good for an identity type space that we felt it was a great place to put it. Now this is this is for people that don't know what Flame is, this is a database that's been used quite a bit as an infrastructural piece by Novell. And one of the things that's distinctive about it, um, it it really came out of genealogy type things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's meant for massive relational data and Flame is also now XML tagged, so it's an XML data store. Yeah, well, there's actually really two releases they do. They do a, the standard Flame one, which is actually part of eDirectory, and it's made eDirectory the most scalable directory service in the world. Um, and it's they've also got a, a separate – they've decided to release it separately as an XML database that's built on top of Flame. So, so, and that does full XML, has a DOM interface. Uh, is that the one you guys are using for uh, Bandit? Um, well, we, we use – Currently, it's not integrated in any specific Bandit component, but we have plans for it because whenever we want to talk about persistence, we're going to be talking about using Flame to do that for us. Flame, the nice thing about Flame is it provides a, a linkable database. And so you don't have to like – most with most SQL servers, it's like a separate service you install and you configure, then your applications talk to that over a protocol. Well, this year, you're actually going to link the APIs right in and call it directly as part of your application. And that's how GroupWise uses it. It's how uh, Hula and NetMail have used it. And uh, and so that's how we will be using it. I think we have plans to use it in Casa for doing some persistence and any caching that we will be doing that way. Yeah, and of course, Flame is totally uh, cross-platform, right? It is cross-platform and open source. Download cool. it right now. We just actually did a release two days ago, the 4.8 version of Flame and the 5.0 of XFlame. So uh, this obviously, this is like a toolkit for developers to develop identity-enabled applications? That's exactly right. We're trying to provide the tools for the infrastructure of the identity environment. Now, I want to come back at the question I asked a moment ago, um, mistakenly. But now that you've thrown flame out there, I mean, this is this is very much a no, Novell pr- core technology mm-hmm. uh, that Novell's used for quite a long time. And my question I was asking a little while ago at the wrong time was uh, about other companies or other entities out there um, who are contributing or participating within the Bandit project. Do those exist, especially in, in – the idea that here's this component that is classically from Novell that's inside of the product project or is a component of it. 
Yeah, I mean, that is our goal. Remember the first goal I stated was to build a community. And that community it means more than just people at Novell and people sponsored by Novell. Um, so we've been working very hard. And I don't know if you noticed on the press announcement, we had 11 vendors, including companies like Microsoft, Kim Cameron from Microsoft, um, oh, cool. Red Hat, you know, um, IBM, um, Parity, a bunch of major players in this space all committing to the Bandit Project and, and supporting what we're trying to do. Um, and we've actually even received patches from teams external to the Bandit team itself um, already on some components. Um, we have people who are on our IRC channels and are on our mailing list from lots of different companies who are interested in the technology. We, we see this as ever-expanding and ever-growing. So post-announcement is, uh, you know, when the announcements hit a lot of times on these kind of large-scale initiatives, you've got a lot of people that sort of, uh, you know, say, yes, we're behind this thing. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to hear Microsoft is even behind yeah. something that's an open project like this. Um, how much of this, how much of this, um, is it already taking grasp at all with some of these organizations? Are they starting to get their engineers involved in contributing? We have been talking with several companies. We don't have any product externally currently that has actually integrated one of these pieces. Now, we started this project in February. We're getting ready with our first releases of several of these components. CASA is integrated in lots of Novell products, like like I was saying before. Um, but we've we've been approached by several external vendors about the possibility, but we don't, we're not currently in any external product. Uh, and I would say it's just because listen, these are new technologies. And to be honest, we haven't even released the RF piece yet, and we haven't even released the roll engine piece. And the common identity piece that we're doing is going to be released in the next week. When do you expect to release the roll-based stuff? Um, we were hoping to be done by this month, and I think we might be a little week uh, out, maybe in a little bit into July. In the, in the true source of software engineering, it's there's always the stuff well, that you don't know about. That, that sure. Well, you know what kind of happened there is is that we were we that was our first thing we were going to do because we had some um, people saying they really wanted, but it turned out what they really wanted was this common identity piece of the Higgins work. So we kind of emphasized most on that. And uh, true to an open source project, we, we will focus on what the community wants. And if the community wants this, we're going to focus on that. We're not going to be working on something for the sake of working on something. Why did we start this project in the first place? Well, you know, it's a, an interesting phenomenon that's happening that we're seeing. And um, what happened, and the best way to understand that is to compare it to what happened in the 80s and 90s, and maybe even in the 70s. Um, during that time, there was an explosion of networking protocols that were coming out. And, and, and if you've been in the industry for a little bit of time, you, you may remember things like IPX, which Novell was famous for, um, ArcNet, um, Token Ring. Um, TCP IP, um, and there was all these protocols being developed to try to link these all these devices together and these systems together and the software together. Um, and then what happened in the 80s, something very interesting happened, is, is a couple pro projects got started around, because I remember when I started Novell, I was writing ArcNet drivers, very low-level, hard to do, and, and if, if people in the, in the space of IPX, there were these ECBs, and there was these really complicated things to build to, to be able to communicate between our systems. And some brilliant person, I can't remember who it is, um, built this a socket layer, which is, a, is a, just an API that made it easy to send data. You know, and so, and it was first built on TCP/IPA, um, and so it was as easy as saying, "Connect to this address, send this, receive this." 
That it made it so easy to do it. And so that was kind of this infrastructure. There's a lot of other pieces that were built as part of this infrastructure that made networking easy. So that m- means as a developer, I didn't have to actually write the code to assemble the packet, right? That, that's exactly right. It made it just so much easier to pull to, to, to inter, intercommunicate between network devices. Okay. Once that infrastructure was there, another phenomenon started exploding. This happened in the 90s um, where people started putting cool applications that did the networking together. And, 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 you'll, and, and FTP had come out before this and Telnet had come but the one that really revolutionized everything was this web server. And it was built on a couple protocols, HTTP. It used another standard called HTML. And it received these HTTP packets, and it could just send this HTML back, and somebody wrote a browser for that. And, and what we have exploded from there, we had the Internet come out of this. Okay? And it was all built on this infrastructure that was there. Okay, and so so that was so that's what happened in the eighties, nineties, seventies, eighties, and nineties, um, okay, and it's so still happening. When, when Pat talks about this, it just cracks me up because I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, dude, you're so not that old. I mean, what, what do you, you diet or something? <laughs> There's not a gray hair on your head. You take There's a couple, <laughs> but but the, your your but point this is, is when I started in the industry during this this whole stage. There's these consolidating moments though that you're saying where suddenly the technology gels together. There's some standards that become universal and and then there's these jumps forward and there's these killer apps that come in and revolutionize the whole way we communicate well well the big thing is it's all these enabling technologies that are pulled together that then allows me as the developer to just worry about writing a cool freaking app yep. and really concentrate on what it is i'm trying to provide the end user instead of worrying about all this low level stuff that's right and you know and this this thing that happened called the network environment is happening again we see and it's happening in what we're calling the identity environment. Okay, there's all these standards. There's the WS Star standards coming out of Oasis. There's the Liberty Alliance uh, standards. There's all these standards coming out. And doesn't mean one standard's better than the other one. The one that wins. The TCP/IP was it the best protocol? I think there's a lot of people who said no, absolutely it wasn't. But it was the one that had the the infrastructure, the pieces built on it that was that actually had this killer app written for it. And so. So basically the first step, like I mentioned, was the standards are being formed. The second step is the infrastructure that's being developed to, to help make those standards usable, you know, in an easy way for developers to use. This is where Bandit fits in. We're providing those tools like the Socket API for the identity um, environment so now the killer applications can be built in this space. And, and there's lots of applications being built for identities. Novell makes a lot of them. Lots of the vendors make them. But there, there, ne- there will be this, this application written that makes identities easy. And when I say that, you may say, well, why do I care about identities? How many passwords do you guys have for different sites? Six. You know, how do you really I use identify? I the same one for all. <laughs> yeah, so that's secure. And so, so but I replaced the A's with a little at sign. Oh, no one will How do you prove who you are? What's your reputation online? What's, I mean, there's so many aspects of this that affect you that sometimes you don't even realize that make actually the Internet hard to use in so many aspects. So someone's going to write this application built on this infrastructure that's built on these standards that's going to revolutionize the way we see identities inside the digital environment there. And, and actually, this is way bigger than just passwords. Because whenever we talk to people and we talk about identity-enabled applications, a lot of times people are confused as to why we need these. And to me, one of the best examples, and hopefully the guys at TiVo are listening, is the fact that I want my TiVo identity-enabled. Because yep. what I want the ability to do is I want... Yeah, my kids love Simpsons, so that TiVo is filled up with Simpsons, and I really don't want that. And what you I, miss Nova. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want Nova. So what I want to do is I want to be able to carve out for each of my kids and say, you know what? You can do whatever you want with up to 20% of the available drive space. 
Right. And I want it, I want the TiVo to behave and act differently based on authentication. And I want Aaron to be able to actually say, this is a great program. I want to be able to authorize him to say, on my TiVo, he can pipe things over. So uh-huh. instead of TiVo just randomly selecting things it thinks I'll like, I trust Aaron's taste over my TiVo's That's taste. Because right. my TiVo gets some weird ideas about what I like. Yeah, think so about... I get a lot of Univision. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think about if you could create a group of trusted friends or a trusted network. Or reputations and this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it could be based on ratings. It could be based on similar, all sorts of different things. And if that actually pre-populated your uh, spare space on your TiVo and that's how it filled the TiVo selections, that would make that device so much more powerful. But you know the guys at TiVo, they don't want to have to invent the entire infrastructure on the ground up. They won't. Hey, we bring it back to your point. That's right. Exactly right. And so, so what that killer app will be, I can't tell you right now. There's lots of really cool identity applications being built. Um, what that there's going to be one that that makes it so easy and so simple and and to do all this stuff and and we're hoping to provide the infrastructure for that and that's and why that's why it has way. to address developer market though because it's the developers who are going to be the people who are the ones that actually make that killer app that's right. that delivers to the end user finally yeah. and as we build these components we will we will try to propagate them by getting them in open source projects by collaborating with lots of different companies and lots of different uh, organizations to get these components used in and, and, and we will adopt to existing technologies. We're not here to invent. For in the case of uh, the, the roll engine, we use a, a project from Sun called OpenZacamal to do our representational policy and permissions. So that's our, our, our vision is to embrace and provide the filler where it's needed. There's one question. That I think Aaron's like going for the wrap-up right there. But I, I wanted to ask one question real quick, and that is, inside Novell, we've got a huge number of applications and operating systems and everything else. We've got all this infrastructure that Novell has. Classic applications that have been around for a long time, things that have just been acquired in. Is there some kind of thing from anywhere, like from Jeff Jaffe's level or from an architectural level that's saying, we need our product groups to actually jump in and embrace this thing and help make it happen, help make it part of not just, uh, you know, make it part of Novell's infrastructure so that there's some force in the industry behind Bandit to get other people to start using it. Absolutely. We see a key to our success as having Novell's uh, identity-enabled products, where Novell's very good at doing, um, and has been for years, to get them involved as much as possible. And we have Wonderful commitments for most of the teams inside Novell already to be participating and using these technologies. Now, I, I can't give you specific dates on some, um, but the nice thing about it is, is it provides a, a, a set of, and this is most of the, the architects have talked to us about this, what they like is that we're providing this set of, it's what they like to call it as a shelf, and they have these little components on the shelf and they're open sourced. And they can just take the ones they need when they need to use it. But but the the vision here is, is let's say everybody uses the same role engine and it has the same policy. Well, now I have a, a I can create an interface that will work for any role for any application. Instead of this application having this its API for doing its roles or its groups memberships. And so so I, I we see it as essential. We see it as as actually there've been great positive input and. It will happen. So I think what's important is it's not that Jeff Jaffe's come out and mandated that everybody Absolutely uses not. Bandit or anything. It's that uh, this project is so exciting that people are getting behind it. In fact, I was in an uh, architectural review yesterday, and I won't mention what product it was, 
but the main architect for the product was stoked that he's going to be able to use Bandit and kind of offload all that identity stuff. Allow me to translate from Californian. Stoked means he was really excited about it. He was, he was intrigued and enthusiastic. That's great, and, and, I, and I can kind of tell you the reasons why. Um, I've been at Novell for quite some time, and I've worked on common engineering teams. And, and by doing it in open source... It has a different perspective than typical common engineering teams. When you work with a common engineering team that produce a, a component that you need, you have a certain dependency on them, and you and you have to make them fit into your schedules and make sure they're building what you want to do and all this kind of stuff, and you don't really have control over it. So so I think sometimes product teams are a little resistance because of that. I mean, what, what if they don't deliver on time? Then in my butt's on the line, those kind of things. Or not only that, what if that other, you know, business unit within the company or whatever decides in the future that they no longer want to fund that project that, that you're exactly consuming. Right. Or they get reorged out of existence. Not yeah. that I've ever experienced yeah. that. And so, and so to solve that problem, in comes open source. Because in open source, what happens, there's two phenomena that happen. First of all, the source is there. That, that, that product team is actually responsible for getting it, building it, and testing it. And they also, since it's open source, they can help direct it. And if it doesn't go the way they want, they can fork it and go with what they want to do. And, and then also what I've noticed is that the teams that use open source, assign someone on their team to be responsible for that piece. So they become involved in the open source project and they know it and they feel a lot more comfortable with it and they know what they can and can't do with it and when it, when it will happen. Instead of waiting for this other team to produce this magical component that will solve all their problems, that's very hard to do. And that's pretty cool because it's actually showing, what you're saying is that there's a massive kind of overhaul that's happening within inside of Novell where it's turning it's changing from being a cathedral into a, a bazaar. bazaar you're right so you're an open source project what is the website okay you can get involved with us on the website at uh, bandit-project.org you can join mailing lists there we have an IRC channel on freenode.net which is called uh, bandit-project any sorts of help that you're looking for you got the microphone we've got developers out there listening to this any specific help that you guys need? Of course. We're, you know, we're an open source project. We need help in all different aspects, whether you can sling code, whether you can write documentation, whether you want to give us use cases, whether you just want to just guide us. You know, what would be really cool is to add features like this. Uh, anything that you can do, join us, talk with us. We're open to any suggestion you want. Actually, I do want to make a quick comment there because I'm shocked when I talked to talk to different open source projects how many times an open source project is run by a developer who really wants help from people who have experience with doing stuff like product management sure. and just helping them get these use cases and to really understand how someone besides themselves are going to use this in the real world. Exactly. There's, there's actually a 16-year-old kid who's involved in the iFolder project now. He's out, he's out of the U.K., and he just rolled up his sleeves and got involved in the iFolder project. He's, he's actually uh, helped overhaul a lot of what the look and feel of iFolder.com is. And he's not, he's not doing necessarily a lot of code contribution. He just got involved with it. We're actually going to see him Aaron at Lug Radio Live. So uh, he's the guy doing the iFolder presentation there in beautiful Wolverhampton, UK. But anyway, yeah, that, that kind of thing, those kind of contributions, they make, they make a difference. So, Pat... Uh, to wrap this up, can I have you give me like a one or two sentence summary of what Bandit is? Okay. Bandit is a project focused on the emerging identity environment. And our two goals are is to build a community of like-minded people who want to help build the infrastructure for this identity environment and to produce the components that make up a part of this uh, infrastructure. 
allowing me as an application developer to just concentrate on the killer app. Yeah, concentrate on the killer app and let the identity experts, whoever they are, not just Novell, but it's identity experts from all over the world, worry about the identity stuff. That's right. Gee, you sound like a commercial that time, Aaron, and you make fun of me when I do things like this. I didn't change my voice. That's true, <laughs> because I do change my voice when I do this kind of thing right here. Pat, thanks very much for joining us here, and remember that Novell Open Audio is a production of Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. All of our content on the show, all of our interviews are driven by the suggestions of our listening audience. That's pretty much our show this time. You can go to our website, www.novellopenaudio, excuse me, .novell.com forward slash openaudio. You can send us email at openaudio at novell.com, and that's our show for this time. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.